The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode two of the podcast. Today I'm interviewing a fascinating lady who is a specialist working with people with OCD and I'm sure you're going to find this really helpful. Uh, Her name is Lauren McMeekin, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and is a psychotherapist practicing at the Newport Beach office of the OCD Centre of Los Angeles. She received her BA in psychology from UCLA and her MA in clinical psychology from the Antioch University. She practices mindfulness-based cognitive behavioural therapy with a focus on exposure and response prevention and acceptance and commitment therapy. OCD has been the focus of her studies, writing and work since she began graduate school in 2014. Helping those struggling with OCD is her passion and she has primarily treated individuals with OCD since 2016. She also focuses on treating people struggling with anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive spectrum disorders including body dysmorphic disorder and body focused repetitive behaviours. She is a certified intuitive eating counsellor and treats people with eating disorders and body image struggles. During the interview, we cover many different areas, including mindfulness, acceptance commitment therapy, ERP, uh, choice, learning to accept doubts and discomfort, and much more as well. Do please give us a five-star rating as it really helps us to get our message out there, and I really hope you enjoy it. Many thanks. Okay, guys, today we're joined by Lauren McMeekin, and uh, she is a, um, an OCD specialist who's going to be talking today about um, her treatment practice with OCD. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Okay, so why did you decide to become a, a therapist? So I've always been interested in psychology. Um, In fact, I got my undergraduate degree in in psychology from UCLA. And um, I've been, you know, on and off in therapy since I was a kid. And it was always something that was really valuable to me. And I always found the human mind to be a really fascinating organ, too. It's it's just so complex, Mm. right? Um, And there's never any shortage of fascinating inquiry into it. And so, um, so that certainly drove it. But I also think my own experience, like I said, with therapy was really a huge part of what led me into the field. But I never really knew what, what realm of therapy I wanted to be in until I underwent treatment for my own OCD diagnosis. Right. Um, and I think, for me, I, you know, sort of reflecting back on my life, I saw that it had been with me for such a very long time, but it had gone undiagnosed. And 
it had been so immensely helpful for me in living the life that I wanted to live that I thought this is it. This is what I want to do. And I want to help people who, you know, the other two to 3% of the population who suffer like I do. Amazing. Yeah, of of course. So, so because you went through it yourself, you really kind of uh, got to understand OCD in in a different kind of way, maybe to, to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my own therapist was really transparent about his own diagnosis, not that he ever spoke of the content or that that was ever a focal point of therapy. But I think Mm. the fact that I knew that he understood it from the inside out was really important to me. Um, And it gave me a level of confidence in him and understanding that helped me in my recovery tremendously and continues to. Oh, fantastic. And it kind of uh, answers my next question as well, which was, uh, you know, obviously about why you chose to specialize in, in anxiety and OCD. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. it um, and, you know, I think this, I, I don't know, I just think the the treatment itself is so brilliant and how it's tailored to people who struggle with OCD and anxiety and um especially the mindfulness component, which, you know, is, is such a huge part of these third wave behavioral therapies. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so the paradigm shift involved in, in doing this kind of work is really incredible and remarkable. And you, you know, you think back to before things like exposure response prevention, uh, CBT really existed and what life must've looked like for people with OCD and with anxiety and, um, I just to have something to share with the world that, that makes life, you know, not perfect, right? Because OCD is managed. It's not taken away. Yeah. We don't get rid of thoughts. I, yeah. I tell my clients that all the time. And I'm sure with the people you're working with, it's like, you know, I wish I could take away your thoughts, but that's not what I do. And that I don't have the capacity to do that. I can't, you know, change your feelings either. Right. Like I, what I can do is help you to have a better relationship with both of those things. But absolutely. Yep. Yeah such a huge change from what it, you know, it was like maybe, you know, a hundred years ago, right. And living with this disorder then. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, for, for me, for a long time, I think I was looking for the cure, you know, like the non-existent cure for OCD. And uh, I was thinking there must be a way to deal with this. There must be a way to just get rid of it. And I was trying everything and obviously nothing worked. And, and the, the thing that actually worked best for me in the end was acceptance commitment therapy, uh, which yeah. is obviously very, very related to mindfulness and, and uh, yeah. the skills that I learned from that and from mindfulness were, were incredible uh, for dealing with, yeah. with OCD. What was, um, what was the thing that kind of helped you the most in your own like, battle with, mm-hmm. with OCD? What a great question. I, I think it was the mindfulness component. I think hmm. obviously, um, you know, the CBT with an emphasis on the big B ERP is, you know, sort of the gold standard. But I think what was most, what most dramatically shifted my perspective was mindfulness. And it was this radical idea that I didn't have to fight my own experience. Um, that really was a change for me, obviously like, you know, behavioral therapy and not limited, letting the anxiety limit my life was also huge, but Ultimately, it was this idea that I could just be an acceptance of life on life's terms. Yeah, absolutely. So, so kind of whatever comes up, it's okay. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, 
yeah, it's it's so important. Uh, I, I think for me, the biggest thing, and uh, you just touched on it, is is acceptance. No, because I think before I kind of came across meditation and, and mindfulness and and act, I was I was constantly battling with the thoughts. Uh, I couldn't accept them at all. It was just like, you know, I can't accept these thoughts. I, I think in a way as well, like for me, like acceptance at that stage was m- more of an idea, like a misled idea that acceptance meant somehow that I was agreeing with the thoughts. And yeah. obviously, you know, it's it's not that at all. Right. But that is such <laughs> an important distinction. And I think that that is, uh, you know, when people first hear about this idea of acceptance, they have to mm. often be clear. I'm sure you do, too, that yeah. I'm not talking about accepting the content of your thoughts as factual. I'm saying, can you accept the existence of your thoughts? Can you accept the existence of your feelings? And it doesn't mean you have to be enamored of them, right? Like you're not always going to love them. But if you can learn to meet them with an attitude of friendliness, right? That mm. That is our power in this, is, is what attitude we bring to the table. There's a great Viktor Frankl quote that um, I, don't, I don't have it memorized, but it's something to the effect of um, uh, the last thing that you have in your power and your control is the attitude that you bring to the table. And I... I, I think that that's it yeah I know that quote yeah 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 absolutely I can't remember it exactly now either but um, I have it actually instead of butchering it so that um, (laughs) in this book right here um, because it's one that I turn to quite frequently actually it says everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances and Yeah. You know, we don't have control over our thoughts or our feelings, but we certainly have the ability to meet those things with kindness and compassion and, and a sense of gentleness and acceptance. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, it's such a good, uh, such a good book, Man, Man's Search for Meaning, no, but DeFranco. Yeah. It's, uh, absolutely just breathtaking. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And I mean, I think that one of the things is that, you know, I think they use it in happiness trap as well to discuss that, you know, how really it's like values, you can live your values in any set of circumstances. And, you know, it's yeah. really hard to argue that point when the man who's saying that is somebody who was at the time in a concentration camp, right? Like he's in Auschwitz. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's incredible that he, yeah, that he well number one, that he came through it with you oh, yeah. with, with having this philosophy no that was the thing that kind of kept him going was focusing on the whether his wife might be alive when he when he came out and that was the the kind of thing that kind of kept him going so incredibly sad but so moving and so powerful and 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 so right no absolutely and the the attitude like the values that he brings to the, you know, like his life in the camp as well with being of service to the people around him and trying to find connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's so right on. And it's, I like, I, I can speak for my values anyway, which I think it, you know, has uh, values work has a lot of, of, uh, implication in, in OCD work as well. Um, but I think that, that, I know that the the sense of connection and community is is hugely important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really, really big one as well. Yeah. Well, and I think with um, like the values element too, it's it's so important even it can be so important within the realm of, of ERP because 
in the absence of compulsions that if you want to, I think, especially with mental compulsions, hmm. having something to refocus your attention on is paramount. Right. And yeah, that can be the present moment. And it's also helpful to have, uh, you know, some richness in your life that you're turning to, to put your attention on. It's, you know, and it's in keeping with the life that you want to build. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For, I mean, for me, I mean, ACT is interesting because in a way it's a little bit like ERP uh, because mm. you are kind of like uh, choosing to, to when you're really feeling the anxiety and you're really very, very tempted to start performing compulsions, you're, t- mm. you're kind of telling yourself in that moment, you know what, I have a choice here. I, I could, I could perform this compulsion or in this moment, I could put my attention onto something that I value instead. And Absolutely. you're going to feel a lot of anxiety about that, but you're going to, you're going to choose to do it anyway. And, yeah. uh, that's, that's a little bit like ERP. It's not ERP, but it's, there are similarities like between the two. No, I, I think, I think so. Absolutely. I think, um, well, and I think even, you know, traditional mindfulness meditation can be ERP in some respects, right? Like if you have, well, that maybe it's more passive exposure, right? Like you have a thought that just pops up, right? While you're meditating and then you get mm. hooked, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, the ritual prevention is to drop the rumination, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I think ERP exists in a lot of different forms, right? And I think, um, you know, we tend to focus on the active exposure and ritual prevention, but I tell my clients regularly that so much of it is about sort of the passive exposures that come up in daily life and that these, the hierarchy that we often work from is, is just a way of practicing that so that you can, you can build those skills so that when you're out in the real world, you know, that you have the capacity to make a different choice. Yeah, absolutely. It all comes down to choice. And, and so yeah. often we, we forget that with OCD, we forget that, you know, we, we do ultimately have a choice in the situation. Like we were just talking about with, with Victor Frankl. It's like yeah. you, it can, it can feel like you don't have a choice. It can, uh, OCD does that. It kind of feels like it takes, takes your power away. Um, and it's a really important thing to remember, I think, that, you know, you do have that power and you, you can choose to put your attention onto something more positive. Uh, and yeah. I think, again, with, with ACT, the good thing about that and having the values is when you have something that you really value and is really important to you, it makes it just a little bit easier to, to be able to put your attention onto that thing. You know, like if it's not something that you value, then it's like, well, you know, why am I going to bother putting my attention onto this, this thing instead, you know, but if yeah. it is, if you've worked it out beforehand, you know, you know, you care about this thing, then it gives you a little bit more motivation and a bit more, uh, reason to do it. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think, and that's, you know, yeah, I, I think that that's played a part in my, you know, in my life as well, just in terms of like, that's a big part of why I chose this career too. I imagine it's a big part of why you chose your career is the, this values element and that, yeah, you know, yeah. having that richness to turn to is, is hugely important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, just on the theme of ERP still, um, um, what are some of the benefits of using mindfulness in conjunction with, with ERP? Well, I think the benefits are huge. Um, I think, like I said, especially with mental rituals, um, because I, I think 
that the ability to refocus your attention with the acceptance component, of course, in, in there as well, um, to accept the thoughts, to allow them to still be present, but to bring your attention toward toward something that you care about is it, it's the whole thing, right? And mm. I was explaining this to a client recently who has a lot of mental rituals. And, you know, he, well, whatever, the, um, the general theme, which I see a lot, is that people really want to get into the exposure part of work, right? And they're like, when's the exposure going to start? When's the exposure going to start? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I was trying to point out as we were talking about mindfulness that the real key here is in the ritual prevention, right? Exposures are happening all the time, right? Yeah, you, you absolutely. No shortage of them in your life. Yeah, But we yeah. need to be able to stop you from doing the rituals. And so I think that it helps with refocusing with the mental rituals. I also think that it really helps with awareness of the urge, right? So like the urge to do a ritual, which can mm -hmm. be kind of tricky sometimes, yeah. um, you know, that you, especially if it's really habitual at a certain point that you just sort of launch into doing the compulsion almost thoughtlessly. Um, yeah. So to, to sort of heighten awareness of that in a really kind way, right. That doesn't turn into self-flagellation, which so many people do, you know, tend to engage in. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, I think also the feelings component, right. Because the reason that we do compulsions is because we don't want to feel discomfort. We don't want to feel anxiety. We don't want to feel any sense of uncertainty. So we're doing this thing to get rid of those, those feelings. Also one that comes up a lot in the room for, me is like the sense of I'm being irresponsible if I don't do the compulsion. Right. And so you have yeah. to be willing to make space for so many emotions that we don't really, I, I don't think as a society have much education surrounding how to make room for feelings, how to be with feelings without letting them control you. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, my background is actually in teaching. I, I worked as a, yeah. as a teacher for, well, 15 years. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a relatively recent thing moving into the coaching world. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, we should be teaching children, um, how yeah. to deal with more, uh, you know, emotional, uh, like problems because right now it's like, a there's an epidemic, you know, of, of anxiety disorders with depression, mental health issues in general. And, you know, if children were taught a little bit more about how to manage their emotions in a, in a more healthy way, then that would be you know, a big step in the right direction. Yes. I, I could not agree more. And I, yeah, I, I've always thought that at some stage I'd like to try to get involved in, in the education system in terms of sharing these ideas. And, and hopefully like, I think that there are, there is increasingly more curriculum based on, on mindfulness and, and teaching that to young ones is in an attempt to support like emotional yeah. regulation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, um, I don't know if you know Sam Harris. He's sort of like a public yeah. intellectual. He's got his own podcast. Yeah, I know Sam yeah. Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love his um, podcast, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great podcast. And he's, the app Waking Up is lovely as well. Um, mm. But his wife, you may know this then if you listen to the podcast regularly, that his wife, Annika Harris. Yeah, is, she did. A, she wrote a book recently about consciousness that was quite interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
but so much of her work entails like working with young ones and uh, around, um, you know, meditation, mindfulness, that kind yeah. of stuff. I think it's yeah. so critical. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it's just like within the, the realm of like all the online forums with OCD and the, you know, the Instagram and everything, there's so much normalizing that happens when you start talking about these things early on, mm. because I think so many of us feel so isolated in this experience of having this mind that's constantly chattering. But the reality is to some greater or lesser extent, we all have it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. At some point, somebody's going to experience, you know, like, uh, they're going to get stuck on something and they're going to got completely obsessed about it and they're going to go around in circles thinking about it and, and that it will be, you know, that is obsessive and, and compulsive. You no, know? it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, can you recommend any meditations that are particularly helpful for, for people from your experience working with mindfulness and, and, uh, meditation? Yeah. So what I can say is generally I introduce people to focused attention meditation as a starting yeah. point, um, yeah. with some sort of an object. Oftentimes I'll use the breath. Of course, Sometimes you run into, you know, people who find the breath and, and using that as an anchor to actually be an exposure unto itself, um, especially people with panic. Um, yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. And some sort of some sensory motor um, obsessions also fall into that category. So using different things like sound or um, their physical touch, right, to mm. um, to to come back to. So. Yeah, essentially using that as an anchor in the present moment, noticing when your thoughts wander. Um, you know, I know, I'm sure you know all about this, but just for listeners who aren't, yeah. uh, you know, who haven't practiced meditation, that um, right, the the whole practice being that, like, can we catch when we get lost in thought and practice refocusing our attention on the object of our meditation without being unkind, right? Like with an attitude of curiosity, like, oh, there's a thought. Um, yeah. I love Absolutely. the way that Pema Chodron talks about it, like um, with the gentleness of a feather touching a bubble, right? Like you're, you're not try, you're trying not to pop. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's a great that's a great way to a uh, great analogy. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, yeah. I think I, I usually start there with people so that they have like the understanding of what it is to be present. Um, although, you know, to be honest, I don't. Meditation is great. It's a huge part of my life these days. When I first got into treatment, it wasn't. And I, mm. I think one of the things that I think it's important to note is that mindfulness is, uh, or meditation is a, a means for mindfulness. It's not mindfulness itself. It's a good way to practice um, for sure. And to do so in sort of a vacuum where it's easier to notice when your attention is gone and redirect the attention. Um, yeah. but that it is possible, right. To practice mindfulness without meditation. Um, yeah. in terms of other meditations that all drop in, um, I, I've, I was introduced, uh, through Yangi Mingir Rinpoche, um, to not mm. personally, but through, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, to open awareness meditation, which was not, okay. uh, not as, as like aware of, um, which, mm has been a really interesting element too. And I think can be really helpful in terms of OCD treatment, just in because that's essentially what we're looking for anyway, is just to be mindful of all of our experience. So instead of having one 
object of meditation that you're constantly returning to, that you're just a, you're aware without judgment of everything that comes into your perception. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yes. So, so obviously, yeah, I mean, well, obviously like formal meditation is fantastic and, and, you know, doing that 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening or however long you want is, is great, but that's formal meditation. And as like John Kabat-Zinn would say, like everywhere you go, there you are, which, which, which we would take as, you know, whatever you're doing throughout your day, like try to remain like mindful about it and be aware of what's going on, you know, and kind of, yeah, very yeah. yeah, absolutely. I just, I got back from, uh, a, a silent retreat, uh, over the new year. And you know, that that's the idea is that you're basically through, I was there for five days, right? Like you are in constant meditation. You're doing walking meditation. You're doing sitting meditation. Wow. You're doing yeah. Eating yeah. meditation. You're doing, you know, laying yeah. on the couch meditation, right? <laughs> um, which is intense. But, yeah. um, I actually, at one point <laughs> I was, um, I was taking the whole thing a bit too seriously. I wasn't really bringing that attitude of, of curiosity and gentleness to the work. Yeah. Much. So I decided that I would mindfully build a snow slide, which I did. Um, <laughs> so as I was out in the snow and I didn't have a sled, but I was sort of, you know, committed to, I'm going to mindfully build the slide and I'm going to mindfully slide down it. So to your point, it really can, it, it can <laughs> you can meditate doing pretty much anything. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the core of mindfulness. I do, um, I will say that I like meditation apps, especially for people who are new to it. I think it can be really nice and containing. Um, yeah. and I, I personally like the 10% happier app, um, with just Goldstein, a lot of Sharon Salzberg on there. Um, so they're really solid teachers. And, um, I also like Headspace. I think it's, you know, a really great introduction into the world of mindfulness. So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And sorry, just one more question whilst we're on the, uh, the topic of uh, meditation yeah. is um, like self-compassion you, you mentioned earlier. And it's certainly something that um, when I was struggling with OCD, I used to beat myself up a lot all the time about why I was having these thoughts and why couldn't I control them. And, you know, kind of just uh, it was it was very difficult and it was uh, I was very hard on myself. And, uh, something that I, that really helped with that with, for me was, um, like loving kindness, uh, meditations. Mm -hmm. Do you, so do you, do you sometimes recommend those as well? Or is that something? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that, um, Metta or Maitri, depending on the tradition that you're talking about is it's fantastic. And especially doing like loving kindness meditation towards oneself, I think can be lovely. Um, and I, you know, I also think that just the general idea of being kind to yourself around this is so important, right? I, somebody explained to me or said to me in a certain way that I liked that if we had like a mixing board, right, with all the dials and knobs and, and whatever the pulley system is, I'm obviously, I'm not aware of the technical terms here, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. related to our brain, we just set it to happy all the time and we just set it to nice thoughts. Right. And yeah. so I, I think the recognition that we're not choosing this, I think there's so much rhetoric out around there of like, I'm self-sabotaging or I'm doing this to myself and I'm making this like a conscious decision to, to have these thoughts or especially within the realm of OCD, people are like, what if I'm having these thoughts on purpose? Right. Mm. But the reality is that if, if you really think about it, 
most of us are quite clear that, you know, given the chance, we just have nice, happy thoughts all the time and nice, happy feelings all the time, but that's just not how it works. And so I think that that gives tremendous space for self-compassion when these thoughts and feelings do come up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Totally agree. Great. Um, what are some of the most uh, common OCD themes that you, you deal with? So they're all over the map. I think Jonathan Grayson says it, that like, you know, OCD is like the, the variants of OCD are as creative as the individuals that have Absolutely, the Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so That's many. so true. And, um, yeah. I think it's lovely that we have these categories because I think they're very normalizing to people um, to know that there are other people who have this particular worry. And it's a nice thing to be able to read about people with these like with similar obsessions so that you can kind of learn how to respond to the, those obsessions in a more helpful manner. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the answer in that respect is that uh, lots and lots of different kinds. I think right now in my practice, I see, I'm seeing for some reason just a lot of POCD, but mm. um, which is uh, for those listening, pedophile themed OCD, um, but that hasn't always been the case. And I, you know, worked with a lot of people with relationship, uh, obsessions. I've worked with a lot of people with harm OCD, uh, with moral scrupulosity, which the thing is too, that they all sort of combine, right? Like POCD has elements of moral scrupulosity, has elements of harm, right? And they, they all sort of yeah. intertwine at some level. Um, yeah, yeah. so yeah, but, and certainly people with, Sort of more traditional fears of contamination, health anxiety. Um, I have a particular affinity for working with people with body dysmorphia, which, although not an OCD subtype per se, is of course mm. on the evolutive spectrum and yeah. shares many similarities. Um, and yeah, so I I work with people also with disordered eating, and um, that's sort of a, a niche passion of mine as well so there's you know the the body image epidemic in this you know world uh, related to perfectionism and you know wanting to look a certain way is is so toxic and um so yeah but all over the map and i think you know yeah the content just uh, you know is irrelevant right no, that's exactly what I think. Um, yeah, I, I really couldn't agree more with that because, um, like, I, I don't want you to think, but like, I imagine that a lot of your clients, they kind of maybe they start off with one theme and then it maybe it changes and morphs over time and into different ones. And 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 certainly for me, that was the case. It was uh, as soon as I would feel like. You know, I would be ruminating in my head and I might get to a place where suddenly I'm like, okay, I've worked it out now. I've I've got to the bottom of this. And now I don't need to worry about this anymore. And then for like two beautiful minutes, I would be like care- <laughs> carefree. <laughs> and then suddenly Sun from there. Shine. Yeah, exactly. We're like, yes, I've, I've done it. And then from nowhere, suddenly like, you know, like a brand new OCD that I hadn't ever thought about before would pop into my head. And that would be it. I would be off again, like, you know, stuck in the, uh, stuck in the, uh, the cycle. And, uh, and over time, I guess that, but in a way that helped over, over time, because every time that happened, it just kind of showed me like how irrelevant like the thoughts were, because, you know, like if I could be like, kind of like so obsessed about something at one minute and then suddenly 
it's not important at all. And another another thing has come along and kind of taken that over. It really shows how how irrelevant it, it really is. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I often will point that out to that with my clients who have had different themes of obsession mm. over time. But um, I think it is helpful to see that, to see where it just sort of content hops from one thing to the next. And it's really more about the process, right? It's yes. really more about you're, yes. you could be anxious about anything. And if you're waiting to not be anxious to enjoy your life, right, then you're only ever going to get those two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. Then, absolutely. Yeah. And there may be like a week between, right, where you're just trying to sort out and and uh, come to some sort of resolution. And then you find the resolution, maybe. Right. Or, mm. you know, I think it's where people tend to really hit their knees with this disorder though, is when you can't find a resolution, right? Mm. When like, it, and there are things where it's like, you know, there is no for sure, right? Like, well, and there's no for sure with anything, but, um, you know, existential themes and, well, I think all of the themes you can just get so caught up in. Yes. That, that yeah. There's always something else to be unknown about, right? Like there's all, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so in that regard, then a huge part of, re of recovery is, is kind of being okay with that tiny, tiny, tiny bit of doubt that you, you might yeah. have about something. That may feel gargantuan, right? Like that, because that's the thing is that we hyper-focus on the doubt and then it feels really, really big. Um, yes. And yeah. even though we can perce perceive it logically as like, oh, well, that's just a, like, I know that all of the signs point to this thing not being true, that, that, that the feeling is so overwhelming and being willing to sit with that feeling, being willing to tolerate that, that bit of uncertainty is, yeah, I think at the core of treatment. Yeah, it's key. It really is. Yeah. But yeah, yeah like, like you say, incredibly hard to do. Um, yeah. You know, when, when the anxiety is, is really up and you're really stuck in an obsession and you can't think of anything else, it's, yeah. it's so hard. But yeah, it's, it's, it's key. It really is. Yeah, agreed. Um, do you have any tips for people who are working with ERP but, but who find it hard? Well, first of all, I would say that that's like the most universal experience. Yeah. I don't know a person who's come into my office who's like, oh my gosh, we get to do ERPs. It's so exciting, <laughs> right? Like the people who have read about it before are like, what about this ERP thing? Why do we have to do that? And I'm like, don't worry. Like uh, we're well, worried. We'll build, build up slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That it's very gradual. Um, yeah. And that, we, you know, I think to be really gentle with yourself in the process to appreciate every win, right? I think our, our tendency is to discount our wins in this process and, you know, like working with somebody with agoraphobia, right? Which is an OCD per se, but very much linked to, you know, I didn't walk far enough outside of the house today. It's like, but you walked outside of the house today, right? Like that's yeah. a win. And yeah. Yeah. Just yeah yourself to this other standard that you think you should be to um you know doesn't doesn't mean that you're not you're not being effective and that you're not working toward recovery um so to to really appreciate the baby steps that you are taking even if you perceive them to be like minuscule i think is yeah. a huge part of like i think a hugely helpful thing in in the process of the rp 
Yeah, I totally agree. So, so important. Right? Because otherwise yeah. it's like trying to build a house without a foundation, right? Like you have to put in those those small building blocks in order to ever get anywhere. And so if you're constantly just like pushing those blocks aside, being like, well, that's nothing, then what are you building on, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, to, to kind of move up the scale of ERPs, I guess you, you know, you have to start small and, and yeah, like you said, build that foundation. You can't just go in at the start and start doing like nine out of 10 ERPs because you're no. going to make people, it's going to make people worse. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, and it's it's just going to lead to lots of rituals, right? And yeah. like, even if it's just mentally, right? And I think, I mean, there's, you know, new, with, with the sort of inhibitory learning theory movement that, you know, there's some benefit to doing things in, like, not in order, right? Like, that you're not necessarily just going, like, three, four, five, six up the hierarchy, right? And that it's okay to do, like, a three and then a seven, right? To do something yeah. that, sort of surprises you. Like, I, I bet you know more about inhibitory learning than, than a lot of us in the obsessive compulsive disorder field, you know, like because of <laughs> yeah. your background working with children. But yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I think to, to contradict your expectations, right, mm. is an important element in, in that realm. And so, you know, it's not necessarily always going to be like, you know, two, three, four, five, whatever up your subjective units of distress, distress scale. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, that, 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 to be kind to yourself in that process is, is really helpful. And I think to take it one thing at a time, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, coming back to that self, self-compassion thing, and and taking things slowly and 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 building things up and acknowledging those wins that that you you have made is is incredibly important okay yeah so, great yeah um coming on to compulsions because compulsions are obviously the major thing that keeps the cycle of ocd going what can yeah. people uh, learn to do instead of performing compulsions so this is where I think values, right? Like going back to our discussion of values is so key. I mean, you can do anything other than a compulsion, really. Yeah. But yeah. the reality is that we want you, when I talk to people about refocusing their attention on something else, sort of like yeah. going back to Jeffrey Schwartz's four-stage model, which, you know, is not necessarily exactly what I do, but that I derive from, right? Like the relabeling and the refocusing, right? It's yeah, important yeah, yeah, yeah. When you yeah. refocus, that you're not refocusing on something that's hollow, right? Like if I'm refocusing on, okay, I'm going to count to 50, right? That's just going to become another compulsion. It's like, I'm just trying to keep the thoughts out as opposed to um, being willing to have the thoughts, right? And, um and to do something else at the same time, right? To to bring your attention towards something else um, without doing the, the behaviors, like the follow-up behavior, whether that's reassurance seeking or avoidance or, you know, something behavioral like checking or rumination. Yeah, right? yeah. But, um, that you want to have something that's, that's meaningful to you to bring your attention to. And sometimes that's just the present moment, right? Sometimes that's just the feeling of your toes and your shoes and, you know, your hair against your neck and whatever that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think the present is an important, you know, thing like element that you, you can 
bring your attention to uh, when you have the desire to yeah. do a compulsion, and yeah. that that bringing your attention to the present can take many forms. Sometimes that's just you know sensory experience. Sometimes that's uh, you know playing an instrument or really focusing on the conversation that you have and what the person's saying and and trying to be caring and compassionate or. Um, you know, sometimes it looks like bringing your attention back to what the characters are saying in the movie that you're watching. And sometimes it's the feeling of your feet as you're running across the pavement, whatever it is that, you know, you just trying, I think the answer is do anything as long as it's in keeping with your values and you're doing it mindfully. Yeah. And I guess if it's something that brings you into your body kind of and out of your head, then that's kind of a, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. for people who are mental ritualizers, for sure. Right. Because that's, yeah. Yeah. In, in acts uh, that we talk quite a lot about anchoring activities, which is basically um, some of the things you were mentioning there. Uh, so one anchoring activity that they mention in act is, is kind of coming into your body. So kind of, you know, maybe pushing down into your feet, stretching up with your arms and kind of noticing things around you. What can you smell? What can you touch? What can you hear? And uh, sorry, that's just my girlfriend coming in and my dog Bruno oh, okay. jumping on me. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, hi, Bruno. Hi, girlfriend. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, okay. So next question. Uh, we're almost done. The anxiety that people get from their obsessions is sometimes so strong. We always hear that we should accept the anxiety, but sometimes that can be hard to do. In your experience, what is meant by acceptance and and how does it help? So like we were talking about earlier, I think so much of acceptance is just about an allowance and like a, a willingness to experience whatever's happening. I think a huge component of acceptance that a lot of people miss is that you're not accepting it forever. You're accepting it for now. Right. And one thing that we do know for certain is that everything changes, right? That's like the only constant is that you're not going to have a feeling forever. You're not going to think about only one thing forever. It's, you know, you might think about a lot. You might think, have a lot of a feeling a lot, but there's always going to be moments where you're not fixated on that thing. And so um, to be willing to have that experience in the moment, I think, is is what my understanding of acceptance is. And I think the, the willingness to, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. I knew it, it happens to me at least once a day now, aging. Um, <laughs> but... Wow. Uh, the, yeah, the, the general idea of accepting each moment as it comes. Oh, I know what I was going to say is that the thing is that with resistance, right, which is what we're doing with thoughts and feelings, if we're not accepting them often. Yes. Yeah. Is yeah. That re- resistance of things like thoughts and feelings that we can't control is mm. it's futile, right? Like it's not going to get us anywhere. In fact, it's only going to increase suffering. Right? Because you're, the, the experience of resistance, especially when there's, there's no potential gain from it, is quite unpleasant unto itself, right? And it's going to sort of, I, I think of it, quite, that there's quite a lot of similarity between the feeling of resistance and the feeling of anxiety, right? So basically, you're, you're building the anxiety as you're resisting it. Yes. And so, so yeah. much of it is about 
being willing to meet, uh, like the acceptance piece, the question that you had is that being willing to meet the anxiety with something gentler and softer that, you know, is actually in, in a way it sort of, by meeting like anxiety with friendliness, you're, it dissipates in some ways on impact, right? Like it, it, not that we do that with that intention because if it's, you know, if your secret agenda is to change the feeling that doesn't help, but if you're really willing to just, you know, bring it in and say, okay, this is where we are right now, that, that it becomes infused with that, that gentleness and that softness and that acceptance. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, what I sort of. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 Me. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that's a really, really important message. Um, great. And the final question, (laughs) (laughs) if you could tell people with OCD one thing, what would it be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if I could do uh, tell um, people with OCD one thing, uh, I think it would be that you can have this experience of anxiety and experience other things simultaneously. But this, yeah. it, just because it's present doesn't mean it has to be the focal point of your life at all times. And I know that that can be really difficult when you've got this voice shouting in your head to pay attention, right? And you've yeah. got this really overwhelming feeling that something's going to go horribly awry, you know, whether that's, you're going to, you know, molest a child or you're going to kill somebody or you're going to get some terrible disease or right. Like uh, that, that feeling can be so overwhelming. And so I think to, to be able to recognize that you can have that and you can simultaneously cultivate other experiences is one of the more important messages because I think that we're so busy, those of us with OCD trying to eradicate the discomfort that we miss the joy that happens when the discomfort is happening. Yes, that's, that's so true. It's so true. Uh, you can you can kind of forget to 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 get on with living your life because you get so obsessed with the OCD it becomes a central thing, and you know anxiety takes over and you kind of somewhere in your mind you maybe you make a decision and I think I did for a number of years of like everything's on hold until I get to the bottom of this and, yeah. and actually you don't have to live like that you can have anxiety and you can get on and live a really amazing life anyway. Yes, absolutely. And it's not always going to feel amazing and that's okay. Right. Mm. They're going to be amazing moments. And I think, you know, you were talking of, of the two minutes of solace that, that follow like sort of the, the, the figuring it out, right. With one obsession. Um, and I think when I look at it from that vantage point, there's many, there's much more opportunity for joy when we're willing to accept that anxiety and thoughts are going to be a part of the picture. And then it is, if I'm completely rejecting the notion that I'm going to be anxious because then I'm so focused on getting rid of the anxiety that not only does the anxiety become the focal point of my life, but I'm, well, I guess that's to the point, right? Like then I miss, I'm blinded by the anxiety because it's, it's 
taking up all of my periphery versus if I put, and it's very much in keeping with act, right? Like the idea of the tape, like the piece of paper exercise, I'm, not, I'm blanking on the, the yeah, name yeah, yeah, itself, yeah. but, yeah, yeah. um, you know, where it's sitting in your lap versus yes. when you've got it and you're holding it out like that. And it's like, it's much more in your, your view. It's, you know, it's yeah. causing tension versus allowing it to be a part of the scene. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think he actually calls it the piece of paper exercise or something. Yeah. Very similar, let's say. <laughs> Nothing too genius like with that. the name. Yeah. Like it. It's good for me and my, yeah. my simple brain. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely well, fantastic talking to you. And um, Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. It's, it's, always, like, it's always a treat to get to talk about this and to spread awareness. And um, I just love talking with you. It's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Many thanks, Lauren. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Lauren today. Uh, do please check out the next one. And if you would like to give us a five-star rating, that would be amazing. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.